So we do indeed pray, Heavenly Father, that the word of God would dwell richly in our hearts, not just for this time now, but for in our whole lives as we go from here later. May you speak to us now by your Holy Spirit so that we see Jesus more clearly and follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So leave or remain. That is the issue in these verses that we heard read a few minutes ago. Now this is not about Brexit, of course. Let's be totally clear about that. Leave and remain happens to be the language that is used in these verses. And this is about something even more significant. Eternally significant. This is about an unsettling and divisive Chexit. You probably won't find the word Chexit in the dictionary, unlike the word Brexit, which you do now, but it's a blend, a portmanteau, I believe is the technical term for it. Church exit. And it is very much the theme of one John. Now the situation that we, as we've seen over the last few weeks of looking at this letter, is that there's a group of influential people who have left the church that John is writing to. And there have been allusions to what they have said and taught in the first part of the letter. But today we're going to meet them as John begins to tackle them head on. Now if you're a Christian, have you ever been unsettled by someone or by a group of people who claim to have a superior version of the Christian faith? One that is somehow problem-free, more spiritual, whatever that means. You know, what you've been missing all this time is this special way of praying. You're not a real Christian if you don't do such and such. It can be very unsettling. More than that, whether you're here this morning as a Christian trusting Jesus or whether you're, you're not quite sure where you're standing, you're looking into things... How do you know who is speaking the truth about God and who is speaking the truth about the Christian faith? You know, maybe it's me who's been wrong all this time. Maybe in this instance it's actually right to move on from what I've previously believed, we might think. Either as a Christian or as a non-believer. Or maybe it isn't. Maybe this isn't the right time. Maybe I should be sticking to my guns. How do I know which? Especially when we live in, the world, in a world where there's all kinds of contradictory claims, not just between major world religions, but even between different groups of people who claim the label Christian. Who's right? Well, these verses help us to begin to answer that question. We saw last time that we're now into the second section of the letter, which began with that command in verse 15 in chapter 2, Do not love the world. And we saw there was an implication in those verses that the departed influences, the leavers, are people who look very spiritual. But in fact, they are of the world, John says. They love the world. And he spells that out later in chapter 4, verse 5. They are lusting after what they don't have and they're boasting in what they do have. That's just what the world does, John says. Do not love the world. Do not love them. The world is passing away. But while it is passing away, there are a couple of things that make it extra hard not to love the world. 
And this morning we're going to see what one of those things is. It is extra hard not to love the world because while the world is passing away and we wait for Jesus to come back, there are world-loving antichrists in the church. So verse 18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. Now, there are all kinds of things going on there, and we may immediately have a kind of internal klaxon going off. Red alert, you know, this sounds like we're in weird religious maniac territory. It's the last hour, says John. Now, Jesus himself talked about things happening in the last days before he returns. The Apostle Paul used similar language in the New Testament. Only John talks about the last hour rather than days, but it appears to be a similar kind of thought, a a way of referring to the same thing. To us, an hour doesn't sound very long, and 2,000 years later, we might find that a little suspicious. Even the last days, we might feel, have been stretched out rather longer than might be suggested at face value. Of course, some hours or days can feel longer than others. You know, an hour of your least favourite lesson at school or compulsory course that you have to go on at work, you know, that feels like it drags on forever. But God is not subject to time like we are. And in one of the other letters in the New Testament, in the second letter that Peter wrote, chapter 3, we read, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So when John says, we're in the last hour, he's he's not talking about a length of time, but he's talking about an epoch. He's talking about an era. Now that Jesus has died and risen and ascended and he sent the Holy Spirit, we are in the final stage of history before he returns. And that's been the case for the last 2,000 years. There's nothing more left to happen uh, before Jesus comes back. And again, Jesus himself taught that just before his final return, there would appear false Christs. And Paul talks about a particular man of lawlessness. John, again, in the book of Revelation, talks about the beast. Here in this first letter, he calls it the Antichrist. And and we need to forget any images of red horns and pitched forks or, or even crazed preachers on street corners screaming and shouting. See, the word Antichrist simply means opposed to Christ, against Christ. And actually, that future appearance of a particular antichrist, whatever that means, before Jesus' return, isn't what John is talking about here. That's not really his concern about the future. What he's actually saying is, you've heard that something's going to happen in the future, but what you've got to realise is, right now, right now, there are antichrists in your midst. And we heard in the first reading from the book of Acts, Paul warned something similar in his farewell to the Ephesian elders about uh, wolves uh, coming up in, their, in your midst and teaching false things. Be on your look out for those things, he says. And John is saying, these people who have left, they are antichrists. Now, does that sound a bit harsh, a bit overdramatic? Well, he then explains why that is an apt description of them. And you can see on the handouts two things we learn in these verses. One about leavers, one about remainers. But again, don't mishear me, this is not Brexit, this is Chexit. And this really matters. And we will see why. So first, 
leave us exposed as liars. Leave us exposed as liars. So what is it that makes these leavers anti-Christ, opposed to Christ? Well, the issue, verse 19, is the very fact that they left, they went out from us, he says. Now, is this just the cheesed-off church leader who is cross that someone who used to go to his church has decided for whatever reason to go elsewhere? Well, that is not the issue here. The issue is not simply that they have left. You know, people leave churches for all kinds of reasons, and we experience that at St. John's as we say farewell to people moving back overseas or to another part of London or a different part of the UK or whatever it might be. That's not the point here. Look at verse 19. What is it that they've actually left? They have left, he says, they've left us. Their departing shows they never really belonged to us. Now, who is the us there in in this letter? Sometimes in the letter it's just we Christians generally, but usually when he speaks like that, he's referring to some aspect of what Christians generally believe or what Christians generally do. But this is much more specific. The implication of this letter is that John himself is not actually part of the community that he's writing to. Otherwise, presumably, he wouldn't have written this letter because he's there with them. So he's, he's writing from a distance to them, but he's saying us. So for him to say they have gone out from us as he writes to them implies not simply that they've left the community that he's talking about, because there's another use of this word, we and us, in 1 John, which is specifically to refer to we, the apostles. So John and, and the other apostles who were commissioned by Jesus... To, to preach about him and to write about him. That's how the letter started in the first four verses. This, we saw this of the letter in, in chapter one. We saw this golden chain that starts with God, the eternal life. Then Jesus entered history to be seen and heard and touched. And then very important step, he was witnessed by the apostles. And they then testify to what they saw and heard so that we Christians who weren't there can know the Father through the Son as well. Because the apostles through the Bible have given us access like that. So the apostles are a key part of the chain that enables you and I to sit here this morning and say we know God. We know God through Jesus. We know Jesus through the apostles. So what is the issue then with these leavers? They've not just left the church, but they have left the apostles, do you see? In other words, they have abandoned the apostles' message and are now teaching something different about God and about Jesus. And just note, therefore, it is possible to leave a church but remain believing the apostles' teaching. So remain in the apostles' teaching about Jesus, remain in the Son. You can leave a church but do that. But it's also possible to remain in a church, but leave the apostles' teaching, or indeed never, in fact, be in the apostles' teaching in the first place. Do you see? They're two different things. The key issue here is that they have, the leavers have left what the apostles teach about Jesus. And he spells out what that looks like in verses 22 and 23, if you look down. It's serious. You see, he says, these guys are liars because they have abandoned the apostles' teaching and they're now teaching something different about who Jesus is. John says, this isn't just a matter of opinion. This is a question of whether you really know God or not. 
If you deny that Jesus is who the apostles say he is, the Christ, the Son of God, who reveals God to us by being fully God and fully man, if you deny that, the upshot is that you do not really know God at all. So this is deadly serious. So serious that if you look at verse 22, that is why he chooses the label Antichrist. Because they are saying something different about Jesus. And then verse 26, they are then trying to lead genuine believers astray. So they're not just in in error themselves, but they're leading others into error as well. Now we've only got this letter, and it's a bit like listening to one half of a telephone call. So you get one side of the story, if you like. And we don't know precisely who these levers were. We don't know beyond what we read here precisely what they were teaching about Jesus. But we can see from these verses and the rest of the letter that the issue of who Jesus is and what he did is absolutely critical. And it's no surprise that throughout history and even today we see people claiming to be Christians but leading others astray precisely on this issue of who Jesus is, what he did on the cross and what it means to follow him. Now, a very obvious way we we might see that today might be with the Jehovah's Witnesses or or, or the Unitarians, who, who in slightly different ways believe that Jesus was a man but not God. And actually, when you think about it, in that sense, they have more in common with Islam, actually, than with authentic Christianity, because that's that's what Muslims would be quite happy with that. But no, authentic Christianity believes Jesus fully God and fully man. You see, and the problem, the problem with that, the problem is saying, oh no, he's just, just a man and not God, well, of course, is that we don't then know the real God. Because God has not appeared in history. He remains hidden and unknown and utterly impersonal. So today, John would be saying to us, don't be led astray. But more than that, and closer to home, we see this kind of dynamic with what is sometimes called the ex-evangelical movement. Now, we need to be careful to understand, first of all, what an evangelical is, because it's one of those words that gets thrown around and it gets used in the media, and I'm aware particularly in North America, an evangelical has all kinds of political associations. And I think some people who are then saying, well, I'm not an evangelical anymore, I'm an ex-evangelical, that they're actually doing so because they want to disassociate themselves from a particular brand of political Christianity, which expects them to be, I don't know, pro-guns or something, whatever it might be, and you know, any Americans here can correct me on, on that. But actually, that's a different issue from what we're talking about here. The word evangelical simply means somebody who believes the evangel, which is the Greek word for gospel. So an evangelical is a gospel person. A person, in other words, who believes the apostles' message about Jesus. It's not about a style of worship. It's not happy clappy or whatever you, what that might, you know, things, labels we might associate with these things. It's just somebody who believes the good news about Jesus. That is an evangelical. And that is what John is encouraging us to do in, the, in this letter. So in that sense, I'm an evangelical. We are an evangelical church. But there are people who, in different ways, are encouraging Christians to leave all that behind. So there's a guy called Steve Chalk, 
in this country that you might have come across. Across in the States, there's Rob Bell, there's Bart Ehrman. There are loads of different people. They're all different from each other. They say slightly different things. But they share that sense of having once called themselves evangelical Bible-believing Christians in some way. But now they've kind of moved on to what they regard as a better version of Christian faith. Now, even if those names mean absolutely nothing to you, maybe you still come across that sense of people who will say, oh, I used to believe things like that. I used to believe what the Bible told me about Jesus. I loved those stories I heard as a child, but, you know, really, I've moved on from that now. And some even then have gone one step further to complete unbelief. And there's the the, the author and pastor Josh Harris, who, who no longer... Uh, sadly calls himself a Christian. Now to hear about these guys and to listen to what they teach, and and, and in the age of the internet that is increasingly easy to do and widespread, it's easy to feel unsettled. And the internet is also full of testimonies from people who have listened to these kind of teachers and now themselves reject biblical evangelical Christianity. Now, I collected some of the, the, the things that they say this week. There was a, found a website, it was, it was a Reddit page with uh, just lots of people telling their stories about these things. And speaking generally, this is just normal people who, who've been part of Christian churches and then moved away again for whatever reason. They, they said things like this. I found I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I got frustrated with pat answers. Now, we might feel some sympathy to that because actually that, when, you, when someone encounters that kind of attitude in a church, actually that, that really demonstrates there's a kind of fear going on there, doesn't it? Rather than confidence in God. And, you know, at St. John's we certainly want to be a church where people feel able to ask questions, like we're doing with our evening series at the moment, and we're holding a Q&A afterwards each week. But people then go on, they say things like this, I felt bullied into conforming. Now, bullying is always wrong, isn't it? And and there's absolutely no place for it in the church. But don't be fooled into thinking that our secular, so-called tolerant culture has it any better. So the 1995 UNESCO Statement on Tolerance effectively says this. It says, we tolerate everything except intolerance. And of course, very often when that's applied in practice, it means agree with mainstream opinion or suffer the consequences. And the same goes when the so-called ex-evangelical says they've decided to turn their back on dogmatism. Now, it's one thing to take issue with the manner in which truth is expressed, and that might be fair enough to say, no, you, you know, don't, don't, don't be arrogant, don't be rude in the way that you express these things, of course. But a commitment to rejecting dogmatism is itself a dogmatic position, isn't it? Do you see? It's essentially saying, the one thing I am very sure about is that you are not allowed to be sure about anything. Do you see? And the the, the final thing I found on on Reddit was the, the claim that they've moved on because they have concluded that the Bible is not clear. And we might say in response to that, well, many Christians do find the Bible to be clear, but sometimes challenging to our own lives and to our culture. 
And, if, and the question is, if after all the Bible was clear, and actually this was how God is speaking to his world even today through the Bible, if that, if that was just grant that that's true for a moment, would you then be prepared to listen? Now there's more on that particular point in the verses that follow, and that takes us now to the remainers. You see the second uh, heading on the, on the handouts. Leavers exposed as liars, remainers reassured in the truth. And again, this is Chexit, not Brexit. So secondly, remainers reassured in the truth. Verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Now the Gospels speak about Jesus and, and, and others being anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that seems to be the anointing John is referring to here. You Christians have the Holy Spirit living in you and at work in you. And perhaps he emphasises that because that is something the leavers are saying isn't true. You can't be sure about that, but you, know, you wonder when he emphasises something, why would he say that? And there's a hint of that in verse 27 where he talks about a real anointing versus a counterfeit anointing. That would be a sort of claim to have something different and special. So perhaps... These guys are saying, we are the ones with the Holy Spirit. And even today, you sometimes hear that kind of teaching. You know, are you, are you in just a normal Christian? Or are you a Holy Spirit Christian? Or even the kind of language of, have you, 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 you've become a Christian, but have you had the second blessing? That kind of thing. Actually, that, that just isn't how the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian who trusts in Jesus then you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have been baptised in the Holy Spirit. It happens when you put your trust in Jesus. And that matters because verse 20, the implication is that the Holy Spirit leads you into the truth about Jesus, just as Jesus promised his disciples in John 14 to 16. You have the Holy Spirit and so you know the truth. Well, what is that truth? Verse 24, it is what you have heard from the beginning. It's not some special, individualized, direct revelation. It is the Apostles' message about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see and understand that message. And he spells it out again in verse 27. I know it's a bit confusing to sort of dot around these verses, but this is kind of how John writes. You have to pick out the themes. And verse 27, the anointing, that is the Holy Spirit, remains in you. And so you don't need any teachers. By which he means you don't need these levers to teach you extra hidden knowledge about God that only they can give you. Because you've already got what you need to know in the Apostles' message. And at the heart of the message is, remain in Jesus. Don't move on. You've got everything you need for your Christian life in him. So that question, how do I know who to listen to? How do I know whether it's me who's been wrong all this time, or whether to ignore this new teaching I'm hearing? whether it's these guys like Steve Chalk or Rob Bell or Bart Ehrman or Josh Harris or whoever it might be, the basic question isn't, do I like this person? Do they entertain me? Do they make me feel good about myself or whatever? The basic question is, does what I hear conform with the message of the apostles, with the message of the Bible, in other words? Does it conform with that 
or not? Now, we'll have a chance to think about this in more detail, because there's still questions you might ask about how you answer that question. Um, And chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, we will come back to that as John returns to, to that later. But it might be that you, you, you reflect on things and you think, well, actually, do you know what? I've never be- actually believed the Apostles' message about Jesus. I, I'm not sure I know what it is. And, and that's why we need to, to open the Bible and read it and read the Gospels. It's a good place to start and go from there. Find out what actually we, we read here about Jesus. It might be you're thinking, well, I, I've been going with my own ideas or I've just been going along with the church's teaching without consciously reflecting or whether it agrees with the Bible. Now, if that's the case, perhaps you do need to change. You need to hold up your own ideas about God against what we read about him here. But actually, if that is your starting point, if your starting point is to, that you have read about him in the Gospels, you have read um, and, and you are seeking to, to listen to what the apostles are saying and follow what they say about Jesus, if that's your starting point, then remain in the Son, John is saying, by sticking with the Apostles' teaching. If you abandon the Apostles' teaching, if you leave, you lose the Jesus of history. And if you lose the Jesus of history, you don't know the Son, and then you don't know the Father. And so in the end, you don't have eternal life. Stick with the Apostles' teaching about Jesus. So often in our Christian lives, when we come up against something difficult, particularly in times of suffering or struggling, something that's painful that we're dealing with, we think, oh no, you know, I need something new here. I need something different about God to keep me going. John is saying what you need is the apostles' teaching about Jesus. Go back to him, open the Bible again, start at the beginning of the Gospels and read about Jesus and get to know him afresh once again. He is who you need right here, right now, today, in whatever situation and circumstances you are facing. So what then is John's conclusion? He says it again, verse 28, continue in him, and actually that's just been translated differently for style, but it is the word remain, once again. Same as verse 27, same as in the rest of the passage, remain in him. The world is passing away. One day Jesus will return. Until then, remain in him. Remaining doesn't mean going stale. It doesn't mean never making any progress as a Christian. But one of the things that is often attractive about false teaching is that it seems to offer something fresh, something new. But it's a bit like monogamy at its best. You see, remaining in marriage doesn't mean standing still, or it shouldn't mean that. Monogamy at its best is not monotony because it means growing in your relationship with your spouse and it means not looking elsewhere. So to remain in the Son, we need to remain in the Apostles' teaching in the Bible. The the ex-evangelical movement coincides with studies suggesting that Bible-believing Christians are less likely to have a daily time of reading the Bible and praying for themselves, a quiet time, daily devotions, or whatever you want to call it. And they are less committed to gathering to hear the word of God week in, week out. See, if we don't remain steeped in the apostles' teaching in the Bible, going ever deeper, we won't know Jesus the Son. 
and we won't know the Father through him. And in the end, we may, not be in, we, we may be in danger of not having eternal life at all. If we don't remain steeped in the apostles' teaching in the Bible, we won't know when we hear new teaching, we won't be able to compare it to what we find in the Bible because we won't know the Bible. So, remain in him, keep close to him, stick with him. We have everything we need in him. So why look elsewhere? Let me pray. Father, we praise you for the glorious truth that through Jesus we know you. Thank you that Jesus was fully God and fully man on earth, that he was, uh, that people were able to, to see him, touch him, walk with him, listen to him. Thank you that, in particular, he commissioned the apostles then to testify about him so that we, too, today, could know you through Jesus. May we then remain in the Son. May we remain in Jesus. With all that's going on in our world, with all the uncertainty, with all the uh, pain and difficulty, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be able to hold out a greater vision of life that lasts beyond suffering, beyond death, life in Jesus, and that we would ourselves remain in him and call others to do the same. Amen.